0: wings for the game boom cash back new lucky jersey boom cash back even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card and yes we said debit card with discover Cashback debit everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases look in sports it's hard to predict who's taking a w but you know what's guaranteed to win discover Cashback debit oh and did i mention there are no fees period i'm telling you this one is a game changer Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, the final one before the holiday break at the end of 2020 and as always my good pal Pierre Lebrun all right Pierre I know you you've got kids you you know are you what's the frantic level in the Lebrun household as we approach a week out from Christmas
1: I'm way better organized than normal I mean usually my standard is to go out on December 24th and hit the stores uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, come on. Such a cliche. Well, I mean, what can I say? I'm that guy. But this year, everything has been purchased ahead of time because I was worried about delivery and online shopping, and I got it all done. So I'm a happy man.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I feel like we've got an early holiday gift today on Two Man Advantage because we are joined by one of the top agents, not just in the hockey world, one of the top agents in all of professional sport, Pat brisson let's pat you're in the west coast how is the you know i mean things are different in california how has the shopping been your preparation for the holidays Do you, are you feeling zen like pierre or how are you feeling
2: i'm uh, well first of all thank you for the nice intro uh, scott <laughs> appreciate it um i'm feeling like just like pierre i mean i'm the december 24th type of guy going and running you know till uh, till the shops (laughs) close and i'm coming home with all the
0: the presents
2: last minute but this this year i had more time for some reason and and i've been uh, shopping online more than ever in fact i like to go to my door every day and see what i got from amazon (laughs) that i bought (laughs) yeah it's amazing um so i've i've helped uh Jeff Bezos, uh, like all of us, uh, becoming uh,
0: close to a trillionaire at
2: this <laughs> during the pandemic.
0: So uh, that's good. So Pat, so just I want you to. Uh, i I'm so glad we're going to talk about NHL and return to play and stuff. But I, I'm so. I'm excited on your behalf because you got a pretty special moment coming up. Uh, You've had a few special moments in the last uh, two or three months. Uh, I'm just wondering if you can give us a little scouting report on Team USA for the World Juniors. They've got a kid up front, shoots left, um, born in Manhattan (laughs) Beach, California. How weird is that? A first-round pick, number 29th overall, Vegas Golden Knights, Brendan Brisson. What? What's what's the whole process been like for you to go through this with your son and 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 to see him on the verge of becoming an NHL player and heading off to the World Juniors in Edmonton? What's what's the process been like for you?
2: Uh, it's been, been very interesting, actually. Uh, it was a great moment last week when we found out he made the team, uh, going to Edmonton there and. Uh, like you said, also a month, a month and a half or two, uh, when the draft uh, occurred and all that. So it's been. uh has always been a pretty, pretty good player. He was just, uh, he was a good playmaker and um, and uh, had good hockey sense. But he was a little bit on the smaller side. Uh, he's being a late birthday as well, so he kind of developed late. Uh, he, um, like he went to Shattuck-St. Mary's when he was fifteen. And he played on the 16 team, but he didn't play much at that time. And then at 16, that's when he, he kind of started uh, taking over, uh, you know, like uh, he, he, he grew at that point. He grew a couple or three inches. He went from 5'7 to 5'10 and gained about 15 pounds. And confidence came with it. He started making more plays. And then at that point, uh, he kept progressing and worked hard on his game during the off season and all that. But Confidence came and became a big factor for him. And then he went from there to um, uh, he played the U18 at Shattuck on the prep team, and he had a really good year there. Uh, Jackson Lacombe was playing on his team, and uh, both of them together. Jackson was drafted that year, uh, early second round by Anaheim. And then, uh, and then he went on to play USHL, had a really good year last year. So he kept progressing. It's all about progression, and but we're very uh, – very pleased uh, with his um, you know his uh, progression and it was a sure a great uh, great news last week when he made the team USA for sure. I, I
1: go back to that night of the draft uh, Pat and uh, I was you know thinking of you that night because the draft every year for you is is crazy. I mean you have clients who are getting drafted and, and you don't know exactly how it's going to play out and and I should point out CAA's had a couple of big years right in the Lost mm-hmm. two years in the draft, so you're usually pretty busy with that, and that and that's got you on edge. But here you are, waiting for your son's name to be called, and and if memory serves right, that you know I'm not a draft guru like uh, Bob McKenzie, but it, certainly Brendan was uh, picked anywhere to go from the bottom third of the first round to the top third of the second round, right? Somewhere in that range, and and he does mm-hmm. go late first round. What I mean in that moment. Because you have to, you're not an agent right now. You're a father, right? I mean, what's that yeah. like in terms of having
2: it happen? Well, it's interesting, Pierre, because uh, usually you're right. You go to the draft. The draft is such an important uh, moment. And um, we usually, uh, that whole weekend, you're busy doing deals, extension, contract extensions or negotiations or contracts. You're meeting with GMs. You're meeting with parents. You're meeting with the entire hockey world is there. There's so many distractions. You go to a hotel, you try to come in the hotel, sometimes the back door to go right to your room just to real quick because you have no time to talk to everyone. And, and there's so much going on and you can't even focus a lot of times. And so uh, I was thinking about it when I was sitting there because we went to Michigan uh, that weekend to be with him. And at first we were going to do it in the, in the in a room or in a hotel room with a University of Michigan offered us a room, the alumni room was really nice. His teammates came there, but I was sitting there and I was saying, geez, if it was a normal year, especially Montreal this year, right?" I, I don't know if I would have been able to make it, honestly, to to, uh, to the draft because I would have been, you know, drained emotionally with the family and, and everyone. So mm-hmm. it almost worked out perfectly in a sense. Sure. I would have loved to have it in Montreal, but I was sitting there such, much calmer, way calmer than, than I'm usually am. And ironically, my son's in the draft and much, I was much calmer for some reason. And you're right, I, I thought, I said, you know, I think you'll go anywhere between 20 to, to 40. So when we came towards the end of the first round as well, if it's, I kind of learned my lessons in the past because I've seen so many kids, so many parents, so many players that mm-hmm. ranked in the first round that they don't go the first day and it's it's, it's the end of the world. That night, it's it's the end of the world for them. Like uh, right. uh, from from first to second round, because the second round starts the next starts the next day. But I was kind of prepared. I so said, if he doesn't go uh, in the next uh, few uh, minutes here, because uh, at 27, 28, 29, you know, he came out twenty nine. But I said, oh, well, then we'll come back tomorrow. And I was so I was, I was much calmer than uh, than I uh, usually am because of the circumstances. You know. For
0: sure. A, you know, it's interesting, Pat, because, you know, you have, you know, we see uh, former players whose boys become draft eligible, and we understand that they're exposed to – you know, the hockey culture and the hockey life. But for Brendan, he saw it maybe from a different perspective. And and very early on, meeting players like Sidney Crosby or Andre Kopitar or, you know, any of the 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 superstars that you represent. And I wonder if you remember if there was a moment where you were like, I'm not pushing him, but I wonder if this is going to be a path for him or what that was like to watch him decide whether he loved the game on his own or not?
2: Yeah, um, there's been a lot of car rides where we go to tournaments or we go to games. He's sitting in the back of the car, you know, he's seven years old or nine or ten. And I like my younger son as well. And, you know, I'm on the phone with the players and uh, on a Sunday morning, especially Sunday morning for some reason after Saturday night. And we're driving at 7 a.m. to Anaheim or something like that, and I'm on the phone. And so I said, guys, guys, you know, I'm on the phone right now. So, And I know that there's been so many conversations with, um, you know, either a player who got hurt or someone who didn't play the night before or a trade situation, so many situations. And so as uh, he was uh, getting older, he started asking more questions after those calls, you know, like uh, so-and-so called. Uh, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to, how is he, why is he thinking this way, that, you know, why? So I kind of saw these questions being asked more and more as, you know, maybe from seven to nine, nine years old, you know, 10th, as he was getting older, asking more questions. So I always knew that he, he was passionate for the game, but uh, it's one thing, but then being more intriguing and asking questions and trying to, you uh, to uh, you know, put himself in a situation, what would I do if I was this player? So I kind of saw these signs along the way uh, of uh, wanting to be a, a player that way. But it was actually only till probably he was 15 or 16 that he became a prospect. I Honestly, I wouldn't have recruited. He wouldn't have been on my target list of <laughs> recruiting at 14, 15 years old. He didn't even get drafted in the Western Hockey League. He went in the 10th round in the in the ushl so usually we target you know these first rounders at these levels um so it was pretty interesting but um yeah those were moments i think uh or you know when we visit a player uh, uh you know we go to a tournament let's say in chicago and after the game uh, we go and we see you know either patrick kane Jonathan taves or andrew shaw whatever so and uh, being there in the moment, I think, was good for, for him and for my younger son too, observing and how we interact and how these players are interacting. And they're human like everybody else. And especially when we speak to them, I mean, they're, we have uh, this line of communication where it's really, there's no, there's no barriers. You know, they, they're telling me exactly how they feel. And so, so my sons were able to get it firsthand in a sense of how it is in, in reality. In a certain way, you know,
1: and and I think you're Pat. You're not, and you're not actually his agent, right? A JP Barry, your longtime associate at CAA, is is the lead guy on that file, right?
3: <laughs> uh, JP will have the voice.
2: I think JP will have the, the voice on Brandon. Let's 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 get him to the entry level contract first. Uh, one, <laughs> yeah, his, mom, his mom's gonna be his agent. They'll listen to her more than me. I was gonna say I would love I'd love to be
1: a fly in the wall if you call JP to complain about his job and contract negotiations <laughs> on Brennan. But um, but and for our younger listeners who are listening, I mean they 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 know you Pat as you know Sidney Crosby's agent, Jonathan Tay's, Claude Giroux, all these stars. That's that's the vision of Pat Brisson that I think a lot of hockey fans have. But for the younger listeners, they may not know. Um that uh, you were uh, a junior hockey star yourself on the Hull Olympics course, played with Luke Robitaille, uh, played for the late Pat Burns on that 85-86 team, right? If, if memory serves correct, or 84-85? 85 85-86, yeah. 85, 86, yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe talk about that part of it, you know, that, that you know, before you became this mega agent, you had your own dreams, uh, NHL wise well-
2: well, that was a great turning point in my, my, my life, uh, in my career, because uh, I played two years. I uh, uh, played one year in Verdun, Pat LaFontaine was a teammate, Gerard Gallant was a teammate. Uh, we went to the Memorial Cup uh, that year, and then I got traded that summer to Drummondville. And um, went. I played in Drummondville a couple of years with Steve Duchesne, that's where I met Steve. and. Uh, many really good players who played there. And um, as an overage, I was gonna to go to school at Ottawa University. And so I had an enroll to go there. I had a trial with Montreal, but went to the minors a little bit before um, before going to Ottawa University. So I started to enroll there and uh, I was gonna play for the GGs. And uh, and uh, Pat Burns was a coach and Hall Gretzky owned the team. There was so much going on uh, in Hall. That uh, we were practicing there with the whole Olympics were practicing, and they were uh, short of a twenty-year-old player, an overage player, and so I ran into Pat Burns after my practice. I said, "If you guys need another, uh, you know, overage player, said I'd love to play for you. I'd I'd leave Mm -hmm. uh, well." And it took three weeks actually. Pat tried to trade for my rights to, to Drummondville finally got it was my first encounter my first actually experience as a as an asian so to speak i represented myself <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, was and I, I and uh charlie henry uh, also was involved it was interesting and right two to three weeks to almost a month uh, for for my rights to be traded and then finally got traded to 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 Hull and then uh, played for pat and uh um and then luke robert i obviously uh, was on the team and we you know, Stéphane Matteau, uh, Ben Brunet, I mean, Stefan Richet was a, a really good team, a great team. And and um, that's when Luke and I became pretty tight and became uh, line mates. And we had an amazing year in the playoffs. I mean, Guy Rouleau, the late Guy Rouleau. Was Guy Willow, yes. yeah Rouleau, outstanding, outstanding. He's arguably, probably, in my opinion, the best uh, along the the best junior player I played with and against other than Mario Lemieux and Pat LaFontaine. I mean, Guido Lo was he had 92 goals in 57 games or something like that. So we had a great line, and um, but at that point, uh, Luke and I became very, very close, um, you know, best friends. And then uh, Pat, uh, Byrne, Pat Burns became a, a really good friend after that as well. And then he became an NHL coach, and uh, he and I... Uh, you know, had a great great relationship and you know we we spoke on a regular basis and all that so that's how it started that's how because I do remember actually when uh after that season I went to play in Europe for a year and I came back and and Burns was the coach in uh, Sherbrooke and uh I went to the Habs training camp and then I went to the minors and where Pat was the coach and that's when I decided in 1987, actually, uh, October 15th or something like that, 80, 87, and I went to Pat's office, and um, I was about to sign a 25-game tryout to, to play Sherbrooke, and I said, you know, Pat, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be signing a contract. I'm actually moving to California. He said, what are you going to do there? I says, <laughs> I'm going to move in with Luke. Uh, Luke and I have been talking and um, don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to probably work in hockey somehow. I'm going to teach. Uh, there's a, UCLA's got a little club team, and Luke tells me I can do practices there and teach hockey. And just, I, I'll figure it out, but I, I'm i leaving Pat. He says, are you sure of your decision? I remember sitting at his desk and, you know, him looking at my, you know, with his eyes, and uh, you know, I was always intimidated by Pat Burns. Everyone was. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna say exactly how he said it, but uh, you're making sure you're making that you know, decision. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and in uh, you know, a few, a few, um, a few uh, words, uh, anyway. So, so, but uh, you know, I almost didn't didn't make the decision to, to come uh, to to come to California that day. But I, uh, anyway, packed my bags and uh, he wished me good luck and all that, and that's when I came to LA. And, um, yeah, October 1587,
0: and I never went back. <laughs> An get. And Pat, and it's so interesting that you, you know, the story of you going to California is is one that I, I never get tired of hearing. And I don't think people, lots of people may, may not know that. You know, you mentioned there were some hockey schools. You were involved, I think, with Luke, but certainly in the development early on of some of the, the newer ice rinks. There weren't many when you got there, but you were involved in the development of uh, of uh, ice rinks that uh, youth hockey players could, you know, eventually play at. And, and I wonder if you see, you know, whether it's like a full circle, but, you know, uh, Brendan played for the Junior Kings before going to Shattuck and you've seen the whole hockey market in 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 all of California really grow up over your time there and I wonder if you think about those days when you first got there and really how little there was and, and maybe where it is now and how important hockey is in that sort of youth sport um, community in California
2: oh absolutely I see when I close my eyes I can see the, the, the entire um, journey uh, from 87 on because at that point there's no ranks in California. I was playing in adult league when I came here just for fun. And I started teaching, uh, I was doing a few clinics a week with this guy, Jack White. He was a cartoonist at Ina Barbera and he was <laughs> in, in Canada and I think he was in Toronto. And Jack was doing a lot of clinics and he's charging like 10 bucks a head. He had a bunch of kids coming in and I was, uh, pushing pucks for him and doing some demonstrations and all that. Uh, and, um, from, and then when, um, then there's only a couple of rinks, uh, the old rinks, terrible rinks in the, so when Gretzky got traded in 88 in August, that's when hockey really, really, uh, uh start booming in California. So at that point, you got see, start seeing the, the Michael, um, Jay Fox, the, uh, Mike Myers, the Kiefer Sutherlands of the world, everyone kept, you know, you know, uh, Coming to uh, start coming to the, the forum, watching the Kings and being part of the Kings lives. And, and then we started expanding our clinics. I had these guys. I was uh, these guys on the ice. Um, I was, uh, you know, these adult, uh, actors and actresses and musicians. And it, it was an amazing boom from 88 to 90. And then the demand for ice rinks became more and more uh, there for us, and then that's when we put the, the deal together. It was our first real estate uh, slash uh, venture, uh, you know, uh, raising funds, so to speak, uh, type of deal that we we did. Luke and I, and we reached out to a couple uh, experienced uh, real estate uh, developers and uh, built the first Isoplex, uh, the first rink and we signed at that time a, a 15-year lease with the, the kings for the became we became the practice facility but then when bruce McNall went to to jail in uh, 93 or 94 then the, the, the team went into bankruptcy so the lease got broken up and uh but the rink was uh, sustainable it was a great rink uh and that's when the west valley wolves were intru- introduced and and we put a second sheet of ice, and then we expanded these isoplexes to uh, up north. We went to, remember, we went to, to uh, Fremont uh, where the sharks were, uh, you know, starting also their, their, their ventures. And then uh, down south in Escondido in San Diego, and we went to Dallas. We had, in even Pittsburgh, we had five or six uh, isoplexes uh, just in the early nineties were involved with that. So I, I got to understand a lot about the ice ring business and now that's actually when I first started to sell dasher boards and sell the advertising on Zambonis and all that too. So, uh, <laughs> we can talk about it for, for a long time too, but, but hockey really, really took off in California when Gretzky came in and then roller hockey and it became the things I became so busy teaching hockey uh, on, on the ice, uh, uh, roller, I even produced a little video, uh, was called Ice and Asphalt. Uh, and I had uh, many, many guests, NHL players, who came to, uh, you know, we were teaching ice and asphalt, what is hockey on the ice, and roller, uh, because roller hockey was a really um, really big uh, sport in, in the 90s, actually, on the beach in California, we used to play in the parking lot. So all these little pieces, uh, if you look back and that's why I mean there's, I think you know there's, there's four or five kids on the world junior team uh, you know uh, come you know who grew up in California you know you have York you have Dustin Wolf uh,
1: that's amazing you
2: have Brian Johnson uh, you know Brendan and actually Chris uh, Lacombe and Hellison came to play in LA also for two years while they were playing um, we went to the PB tournament of Quebec these kids all played in California
1: mm-hmm. so And i know like the the sharks and the kings have done a ton over the years for for hockey development but i I tell you the anaheim ducks to me when i when i research this kind of stuff pat the ducks with the high school hockey league and all that the ducks have done a ton over the years as well and it's really had an impact i think on what we're seeing today um but uh before we let you go we got to get to let's get the modern day pat brisson here just quickly a couple of thoughts uh (laughs) And, you know, probably the last question, maybe Scotty can get into this with you after I'm done here about where we're headed in this pandemic season and, uh, and the NHL and HLPA still trying to wrap up their their agreement. But very quickly, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a, is a key uh, high-profile RFA who doesn't have a deal yet. And and I think it's probably tied to what I just talked about, waiting to see what what the rules are and, and when, when we're playing, which is in mid-January. But... How are talks going on the Dubuff front since we have you on the show here, uh, Pat?
2: Yeah, we've had more talks, uh, talks recently. I mean, um, I would say probably there were a were time, maybe a month or so, where we didn't have too much to say. Because, you know, when you negotiate these contracts, that's why you saw last year the RFAs, like the – the Marners, the Kachuks and a lot of these guys, I mean, some of these deals got done during camp or right before camp or Mm -hmm. I I call it pressure points, you know, I mean, whether it's pressure points or, you know, when you have dates, critical dates, uh, then that's when there's goals. That's why arbitration sometimes is a good thing because you know, that these deals would be done during that window. And, and so it, it, it's the same thing when, when, especially this year, when we don't know exactly, it seems like camps will start on January 3rd. Now who knows that the way things are going. So as soon as everything's announced, then you you have like kind of a a window and the talks, I would say, uh, uh, you know, accelerate that there's more communications, there's more back and forth like anything else. So uh, with Pierre-Luc, we, we just had a few conversations in the last uh, few days, and we'll see how things are going here in, in the next few days with the, the next steps of the NHL, the NHLPA.
0: Well, it's a great way to follow that up, uh, Pat. Then, what do you think the what do you think it'll be like then? It, it, assuming we get a board a board of governors vote and the NHLPA agrees to whatever the framework is going to be, and looks still like it. Uh, targeting a January 13th uh, start. Do you think we will see a rush of uh, deals that are made or teams having to move players because of salary cap issues? We know that Tampa and a number of other teams are either over the cap cap or or right at it. Um, Still a handful of uh, really quality, uh, unrestricted free agents who haven't signed with teams. Do you anticipate a sort of rush of activity then once those votes are held is, is is that the kind of you know sort of maybe um landslide of movement that we might see once things are formalized with agreements from the league and the players yeah
2: i really do because this you know certain teams have to be in compliance by opening night so there's going to be a lot of movement that way uh, a lot of excitement as well and like i said because it become, you know, another pressure points. We have dates in place, and we have uh, you know people back in offices and all that. Um, I think the, the deal between between the PA and the league is pretty much done. It's just uh, you know the Canadian authorities also. It's not easy, I guess, to navigate through Canada right now with uh, obviously with COVID everywhere else. But I think there's certain the restrictions in Canada that makes makes it a little harder to start. Uh, you know. Uh, on uh, January third or January thirteenth, uh, dr- uh, puck drop, so to speak. So, but as soon as we have all that in place, there's going to be a lot of excitement. I, I, I do believe. And, and what's 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 good too is, you know, the vaccines are coming out now. We're seeing more and more. We're here. And we're seeing more. Of the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm always the kind of guy. The glasses half full. So it's. Uh, I wouldn't call it the gold rush, but it's going to be really. Um, an interesting month. As soon as we, we get the, the dates uh, lined up, uh, it's something that we can't we can't wait. I mean, all of us uh, uh, in, in hockey and in sports in general, when you have, you know, uh, news of a, a, a league starting and, and dates in place, I mean, it's, we, you know, we can't wait to the, for the world to be back to normal, that's for sure. Uh,
0: that, is, that is the absolute truth, Pat, and uh, it's been so great to have you join us, and honestly, I'm sure Pierre and I could chat all day long with you, And uh, but that wouldn't be fair, and uh, it, it is uh, it is great to catch up, and, and really looking forward to uh, a return to NHL hockey, and, and I'm hoping that you enjoy... Um, watching uh your son and team usa at the world juniors and uh it's going to be an exciting time but thank you so much for for hanging out with us uh today it's always a pleasure to catch up
2: well same same here guys i appreciate your time uh anytime and uh happy holidays merry christmas and uh, enjoy the holidays uh, with your families merci pat merci noel
3: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
0: Pierre, I, I don't know about you, I never get tired of hearing the story about you know, how Pat Burson ended up in California, and you know, mm-hmm. basically on a whim, as he, you know, as he alluded to, his conversation with Pat Burns, and I'm sure Pat was very to the point, like, are you crazy? You're going to go and, what, hang out? And, you know, you sort of think about, you know, what, what followed, you know, I mean, think about that career based on that decision. And I, I, I never get tired of hearing, I don't know about you. And, and I must tell you, there
1: was a nugget there that I had never heard before. Maybe you knew it, but I didn't realize Pat Burns had tried to sign him uh, <laughs> to Sherbrooke, which at the time, of course, Sherbrooke was a uh, Montreal Canadians AHL farm team. Um, you know, who knows where that would have led? I guess Pat, was being honest with himself at that time and didn't think it would lead anywhere. But but that's fascinating because I had just assumed it pretty much ended after his overage year uh, with the Hull Olympics. To, um, But yeah, that's... Uh, and it's funny, you noticed he talked about the late Guy Rouleau. I don't know yes. if you remember, yeah. Scott Guy Rouleau was a junior machine. and In fact, the Montreal Canadiens drafted him. And yeah. um, of course, it's Luke Robotai who ends up having the incredible career. Not that people didn't think he would have. He was also... Uh, drafted by the LA Kings but Guy Rouleau was uh, I mean everyone was talking about him and of
0: course Pat Prisson was the other winger on that line kind of neat. Well as you know almost all the stories that we talk about uh, have to do with me but I was um, going to teacher's college in Ottawa at the for a year I I call it the bachelor of extended childhood um, (laughs) because I didn't have a I didn't have a job and had no prospects, and I ended up doing some reporting for the Ottawa Herald, which uh, it was a Sunday Herald, which became ultimately the Ottawa Sun. I worked with uh, Bruce Garriott, Chris Stevenson, and I, mm-hmm. did, I did some high school sports, but I also did a, a few um, um, Hall Olympics games, and of course... First time I ever chatted with Pat Burns and, um, and you talk about Guy Rouleau and Luke Robitaille and Pat Brisson. I mean, they were dynamic, dynamic players. And, and as Pat referenced, Guy Rouleau was unbelievable and, uh, passed away too soon. But, uh, um, so yeah, so I, that, I had my, that was my first, very first taste of hockey reporting really. So anyway, I wish it had amounted to something, but, uh, Anyway, um <laughs> on uh I want to I'm I'm curious, you know, Pat talked about it, you know, what may happen in the coming, you know, days and weeks. I mean, the clock continues to tick as as we continue to look at least in theory on a January 13th start for the NHL season. Um you know, I mean you continue to stay on top of this on a daily basis. Are you, your level of optimism that that target's still realistic? I know. I think a lot of us were imagining that a deal would be announced on both sides, formalized uh, players mm. and owners by the end of this week. Not sure we're going to get there exactly, but there's a ton of work being done on a daily basis beyond – you know the formal signing of a of a deal that looks at the framework and training camp roster sizes protocols what happens if teams can't play in their markets um mm-hmm. i got i still i still remain somewhat optimistic i, I don't know about you well
1: I, I mean it's going to happen they are going to wrap this up there will be votes and there will be a season but whether or not it's on time for January 13th is still up in the air i mean the, the, you know a week ago at this point I mean we're taping this here on Wednesday around lunchtime a week ago at this point both sides were hoping for votes by today and then it became votes by Friday and now I asked both sources on both sides last night you know are we getting votes by the end of Friday and the answer was I don't know so and, and it's not it's not like there's anything going on it's, it's not like there's any kind of you know, uh, acrimony here. It's just that it's a really detailed, layered process where there's all kinds of documents. And if you remember, and I point this out because it's recent memory, but, you know, the two sides were trying to wrap up the return the play package uh, by June 30th last uh, last summer, remember? And it ended up leaking into July. It's just, there's a lot, you know, the league gets a hold of part of the document and they make changes and it goes back to the PA and it's back and forth and just so many like, there's a, a lot of pages to all these documents is what I was, you know, reinforced to me over the last couple of days. So, hey, listen, it'll get done, whether the vote, whether the, the two sides vote Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, who knows. But there will be a season. I can't guarantee that it starts January 13th, but uh, there will be a season is all I can say at this point.
0: Yeah. I, I talked to somebody who's familiar with the process, and they said – Basically the same thing, but they he, he, the comment was, I'm not sure where or how we're going to start that season. And it does sound like, and maybe I'm just reading body language, but it does sound like there may be more leaning towards the possibility of hub um, hub play to start, not a bubble, not players locked down, but a, a hub center I assume for each of the American divisions, uh, if not the same in the Canadian division, where players and teams come in, play, go back to their home cities, uh, following strict protocols. That Because of the uh, wild variation in the COVID-19 spikes and the various, um, you know, we've seen a lot of shifting in American um, Different marketplaces, different areas, uh, shifting in, in, you know, more and tighter restrictions on what people can do and gatherings, all those kinds of things. We, you know, we always use San Jose, um, you know, as an example of a team that might have to start in Arizona, for instance. But I think there are right. a lot of teams... We just don't know just yet. And I, my well, sense is. Uh, but, but but
1: but they're great examples, Scotty. Sorry to interrupt. Like, like what if San yeah, Jose no, is the only, o- like what if we get to mid to late January and it turns out San Jose is the only team who can't open at home? Right. Then you don't yeah. do a hub. You just you just have exactly. them play out of, like the 49ers are right now. They're football right. cousins, right? So it really depends how many teams have to be, like if you can get 30 out of 31 teams being able to open at home with no fans, then you're doing that over hubs. you're right they are you know i have the same understanding as you that they are certainly examining the hub possibility where i disagree with you i don't know if they're really leaning towards it yet i think they're just making sure they're up on it you know what i mean right because i think commissioner Bettman really 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 wants to start in in everyone's market if he has any way he can do it
0: yeah no and i don't disagree with that well and i guess that's it you know if if you're if it's one team, you're absolutely right. You just move forward. They double up in Arizona. I think you can do that with a small number of teams, but what if you've got 10 teams? Then I oh, think for sure. that's where, for sure. you know, that becomes, and, and, and we may get to that point. So, um, and, and, anyway, and I have to I, tell you
1: before we wrap up, like I, yeah. I'm looking forward to one specific aspect of this, you know, uh, bastardized season. Um, <laughs> and that's, yes. uh, and that's the baseball type scheduling. I, I, I was talking yeah, to someone too. On, from a team recently and we talked about, you know, sometimes when you do these things, something, something can actually stick and actually stay with when we come back for a normal season. And I wonder if fans will dig the baseball type scheduling where what's going to happen this year is teams are going to go play two or three games uh, in, in a city instead of just one game, just like in baseball. And you know, it's expensive. Like I, I was talking to someone from a team who said, you know, 13 charter flight is anywhere from 25 to $30,000 an hour to operate. Well, you know, if you have to go to Florida twice, let's say in a season, why wouldn't you just go once and get all those games over with? Like, like I think, you know, especially the way teams are gonna be hurting financially for a few years now coming out of the pandemic. I, I I just wonder if there's any way that the baseball type scheduling will be popular enough to keep in some degree maybe not the entire 82 game season next year but in some pockets of it if it makes any sense when when you have road trips to you know when you have California teams going to the New York area or vice versa and so on
0: well and here's to me the other the question how do you answer that question is what's the level of competition like and and I think the you know the reason they haven't done it <clears throat> is my sense of it is is that they don't want fans to be bored you don't want to be oh my god we got florida twice this week and you know that i don't i only i want to see one of those games or none of them or whatever it is but if you have that kind of pitched competition and let's say you know and given this new you know the potential new setup and you know florida's uh, coming into carolina and it's not just a one off. And you're right. Maybe it's two. And, you know, I don't think the math works out if it's three, but anyway, maybe it'll be three. And, and you're battling for a playoff spot. And there's some animosity there. Well, you want to see game one. And then you're like, well, I, I right. they're playing again in 48 hours. I, I want right. back in to see that. So I think that's what you have to hope the, happens. The, and I know
3: the, that's what yeah.
1: appeals to me. And, 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 you know, you mentioned you think part of the reason we've never really seen the NHLs because of, you know, the fear of fan boredom. I think it goes beyond, I think the TV networks have always been against it, I think. And so you are the marketing people, so on and so on. But I'm with you. And, and, you know, like we see a rare example every year, like Buffalo and Toronto usually have a home and home, right? Uh, and, and those are, that second game is usually rocking. I mean, there's a little dislike by game two there. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, absolutely. I think, and I mean, at the end of the day, you, you don't, I don't think it's ever been a criticism of the baseball. Criticism of the baseball schedules is they play too many damn games. But but yes. in terms of yeah. having to play in, in the same city for, you know, Tuesday through Thursday, I've never heard anyone complain about that. It's it, it's smart <laughs> to get through yeah. your schedule that way.
0: Before I let you go, you got a piece that's coming up, and I was reading it with great interest just moments before we started taping here. And, and I love this because, oh my gosh, I just hope we get to this point and I, and I think we'll find out in the next couple of months for sure. But uh, the idea of the 22 Olympics in Beijing, and man, when you see those uh, the video of the vaccines rolling out and frontline workers getting vaccinated, uh, really at various points around the world, but certainly in North America, the home of the NHL, um, it does make you think of better days ahead, and that makes me think of the Olympics. I loved your piece, taking a look at who should or might coach the Canadian Olympic team. And, you know, we go through the debate on the Canadian roster all the time. Yes, you could have two Canadian teams or, you know, you're right. I mean, there's no wrong answer because the talent pool is so deep and it makes for a great debate. I I would argue that the talent pool for coaches is is almost as deep in the sense that there will be a lot of really talented, capable coaches who – won't be considered or won't be part of a canadian coaching staff right let alone who would be the head coach and i i, I wonder what you found as you were putting together this list because it, it is fascinating
1: yeah and i you know if i have one and of course you're reading a piece that hasn't been published yet because you have sources and, <laughs> and you were able to do that uh if you're listening to this today on wednesday the piece uh, is slated to be published thursday but you know, I, I didn't want to list as many candidates I ended up listing, but I had a hard time cutting any of those names out because I know yeah. that in some form or another, the, the, they will be on, on Canada's radar to begin the process. So, uh, you know, they will cut it down. And, and you know, as we reported last week on Insider Trading, um, Doug Armstrong is expected, by the way, to be the uh, the GM for Team Canada. He was GM, of course, when, when we last had best-on-best best hockey, Scotty uh canada winning the world cup in toronto that seems like eons ago but that's the last time we had best (laughs) on best and and he is slated to return uh if nhl players do indeed go to beijing uh yes the nhl has agreed to go back with the nhlpa but they've not yet uh sat down to hammer out uh an agreement with the ioc and the hf which is no small matter by the way but hopefully they can get that done and um yeah, I don't want to take away too much from the piece, but the the, the obvious candidates are there, uh, and I think it's a very difficult decision. But I do think what happens this year, for example, again, in this shortened season, we'll have a bearing. Winning is a big deal of getting in that mix.
0: Well, I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, pal. I'm trying to pump up this story. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and I mean, you know, again, the, you know, for me, the interesting part where does Mike Babcock fit into this, given his incredible success at the international level as a guy who knows how to coach in a short tournament, how to get jobs done, how to delegate to, you know, wh- whoever's going to be the head coach. Um, I think this is always the interesting dynamic and you go back to you know Ken Hitchcock and Lindy Ruff and you know Jacques Lemaire and Claude Julien who played you know at, you know at various points on international teams for Team Canada sort of lesser I don't want to say lesser but uh, you know assistant or associate roles um, th- there are going to be a lot of incredible coaching minds that can come to the table but you got to get the right mix and you got to mm-hmm. work together right like I think that's one of the you know, that's that's part of the interesting dynamic, is it not?
1: Well well look at their I mean, look at Canada's staff at the World Cup in twenty sixteen. and Babcock returning again, so he completed his hat trick double Olympic gold and then World Cup uh, championship. But his assistants were Joel Quenville, uh Chloe Julian, um, uh, and Barry Trotz. Uh like <laughs> so I mean <laughs> Any of those guys could have been a head coach. And it's interesting because obviously Joel Quinville is on my list of candidates in the piece because he somehow has been – he's missed that wave of, in terms of the best-on-best best of not parlaying three Stanley Cups in Chicago into a shot. Now, there haven't been that many best-on-best best events. In fact, there have been only six, uh, starting with Salt Lake in '02. right? There have been yeah. four Olympic no, games. No, 98. 98 well, I in, in, well, I, uh, I'm saying uh, starting in 'O two, yeah. If you go back to '98, there have been seven since '98. Yes, four, uh, five Olympics with NHL players and two World Cup of Hockey's. So, so, and and in that span, if you go to back to Salt Lake, there's only been two Canadian coaches, the late Pat Quinn and Mike Babcock. Have coached the last six best on best events, which is you know, uh, I mean, that just goes to show you how. You know, why hasn't Joel Quinterville got a, you know, he, th- there aren't that many opportunities to coach in a best-on-best tournament. So he'll be in string. John Cooper, of course, just won the cup. He'll be on the radar. I just mentioned Barry Trotts being part of that, you know, Claude jo- There's just, you know, and by the way, as a as a teaser, uh, Bruce Boudreaux uh, helps me handicap the list of candidates, which was unbelievable. I know. Of the veteran
0: head coach to do so, uh, yeah, I hope people dig the piece. I'm sure they will. It's it's finely written, and I'm glad we promoted it here. So, all right, Um, we have, you know, and I may have misspoke myself earlier. We will come back next week and do a pre-holiday podcast next week, uh, just so you know. Um, In between, and and by then, and by then, and
1: by (laughs) then, we might have might have NHL, a deal NHL season to <laughs> announce yeah
0: yeah uh, but in between you should check out uh, a whole host of, of terrific um, podcast um, fair at the athletic James Duffy from TSN promotes his new book beauties on Craig Custance's the full 60 this week at the athletic one of your colleagues of course at TSN Mark Parrish what a great story you know Mike Russo just a terrific story about Mark Parrish and and his um, battle with alcohol abuse and it was a terrific story and and Mark Parrish like you know he and I traded texts the other day and um, I give him all kinds of credit to uh, really, you know, sort of confronting this and sharing his story. He joins Mike mm-hmm. Russo this week on an all new straight from the source at The Athletic. Uh, what else have we got here? Nick Foligno and his wife, Janelle, join Aaron Portsline and Allison Lucan this, weekend, uh, this week on Front and Nationwide at The Athletic. If you remember, we had Nick Foligno on before yeah. uh, the return to play. Yeah, the, the Columbus coming into a play-in round against the Leafs. That was a ton of fun. And Brian Burke joins the Leaf Pod with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle this week at The Athletic. So you should check that out. And you should always check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And rate and subscribe to The Podcast on Apple. And don't forget, if you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash two-man advantage and receive two not just one, but two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. My friend, it has been a tilt as always, and uh, we'll do it again. We'll uh, maybe we'll do some magnog next week just to close <laughs> things out. Ooh, that'll that'll spice it up,
1: right, all right. On. <laughs>